and welcome to Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I am Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. You doing okay over there, Riley? I am feeling, well, I sounded pretty rough. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I didn't know on? if you were trying to hide your condition. Um, did you stay but- <laughs> up late studying last night? That's exactly what I did. I was mm-hmm. in my room just working, working away. Working on some white claws. Me and a nice mug of hot cocoa. Hot cocoa. Yeah. Is that the newest flavor of white claws? Is that what it is? That there's a new hot cocoa flavored seltzer? I'm surprised Bud Light doesn't have one yet. Yeah, I did try the Bud Light holiday seltzers, and there was a seltzer nog. It was bad. I heard about that, and that was... um, SNL actually made a good joke about that. Really? When they said that the flavor is what it tastes like when you throw up in your mouth. Yeah. And I thought, I bet that's right. I haven't tasted it, but in my head, that seems accurate. No, that's very accurate. And then I went to uh, Kroger last night in search of the truly holiday seltzers because I've heard those are good. Justin likes them. I don't don't really like them, but I don't like a lot of... I, I like seltzers that just taste like they were in the same room as a fruit. So you like white claws? <gasps> yes. Yeah. I don't like seltzers where they're like, "Hey, did do you like a fruit? Here's a fruit." I like the ones where it's like, "Hey, were you were you neighbors with a fruit once?" Are you just thinking about watermelon? You, yeah, that's what I want—a seltzer that's yeah. thinking about watermelon. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't find the truly holiday seltzers. But you know what I did find? I mean, I found other drinks that I drank, but ones I didn't, <laughs> I, ones I didn't buy, but were extremely intrigued. I was extremely intrigued by. Um, were have you all heard of Buzz Balls? Oh wait! No, Where listen. I, you can't laugh at me before I even finish it. Buzz balls. I don't know if this sounds more like something from Calvin and Hobbes or The Simpsons. And I either I way, I haven't drank I them. I didn't buy them. I'm just curious if you've heard of them. It sounds no. like an edgy street drug that would be in Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's on buzz balls. They're little. Oh, no. They're little <laughs> yeah, jingle jingle. Are you using buzz balls? They're they're little orbs that are like the size of like your hand pretty much. They're not uh-huh. they're not huge, but they're you just rip the top open and you drink the whole thing. Like that's the purpose of like drinking it pretty fast. They're small, but they're very high alcohol volume. Um and they do have holiday flavors. They did have an eggnog one that was like solid white like eggnog, but in this tiny little buzz ball. And normally they're like bright blue or green or red or whatever. Sure, right. They also course. had like a spiced apple one that was green for the holidays. Um, but they did have eggnog ones. And I almost did it. And I thought, no, I can't. You didn't follow through. No, I'm I realizing, can't. I'm realizing how old I am that like, I understand what this is. I was there at one point in my life, like this sort of stunt drinking. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. I, I lived there. I'm so far I'm too old. I can't do it. Like, I think about it and I think, oh, the heartburn. Those tie-dye Bud Light seltzers, though, those are great. (laughs) Got a 12-pack of those. Just having Mm, to look up what these buzz balls are. I'm so, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the important thing was that you drink drink whatever you found, so. Tie-dye Bud Light seltzers. These have such good names. Forbidden apple, cran blaster. <laughs> this sounds Lada like colada, peach balls. Lada colada. Sometimes they're fun. Justin will get a beatbox. Oh, yeah. Have you seen those? Yep. It's like this cardboard carton of. It's like one of those cartons of water. Yes. Like the little, yeah. Like coconut water or whatever. Yeah. Like those little cardboard cartons, except it's full of alcohol and juice and, well. I say juice. That's not, there's no way it's actual juice, right? Like it didn't actually. No. 
I think come it's like from a, a no, fruit no. at Is any it point. Is it like a wine drink? <laughs> no, I mean it. It tastes like I've tasted it, yeah. and it tastes more like a. I've had many a beatbox. It tastes more like a cocktail to me. Well, let's, it now we're like throwing wine. around the word cocktail here. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, okay, a liquor-based uh, drink with mixers is what it tasted more like to me than wine. But maybe, well, I, I said Nofo is technically one of those. Like, it's a I don't know. That might be like, how it gets away with what it is. Yeah. That it's like a wine adjacent beverage. I don't know malt liquor and yeah, yeah. Flavoring. I think actually, I think you're right. I think it is a malt yeah. liquor beverage technically. No. I don't know. They're, I think they're gross. Beatboxes are popular on the football game days around here. Mm. Just kind of walk around with your beatbox. I, I will tell you that like it, there's a major shift when I drive around downtown on a game day. Like back in the day, you would see everybody walking around like on Greek Row and that whole area, carrying like a big box of Natty Light or something. Or if you were bougie, then you would have like a Bud or a Miller Light. Mm-hmm. But um, now. It's all White Claws mm-hmm. and Trulies, and, like, everybody's got a big box of seltzers. Like, n- I, I never see people drinking beer. They're all drinking seltzers. Everyone, like, you, literally, there's a, I mean, there's a liquor store right on campus, and if you go and just get one of the boxes, it's usually, usually people get the singular flavor boxes of White Claws that all just have one flavor, but I will see people just carrying their own personal box of White Claws <laughs> on game day, like, under their arm. Like, one open, and then once you finish, just pull the other one out from under your arm. Uh, out of the box i'm gonna make i'm gonna make i'm gonna make exactly uh, i'm gonna make a little cooler that's exactly the size of a box of white claw i'm gonna i'm gonna put the marshall logo on them and i'm gonna stand on the street corner downtown on game day and make a lot of money that would sell (laughs) hello sharks have i got an idea for you (laughs) it turns out college students are now carrying around their own boxes of seltzers and they need something to carry it in this is a healthy behavior i'd like to encourage (laughs) Help me help our youth drink more. <laughs> I just try to encourage the switch to the White Claw Surge because you can drink half as many. Yeah. Because they have more alcohol. Well, they do. So, I do they do taste like something, I think. They do. Well, With Sydney, I know that would be upsetting to you. Yeah. I do. Well, Justin and I have discussed this because the, the whole holiday flavors, we've, we've both, we feel that same way that like. The idea is that it sort of gives you the vaguest hint of a flavor. And I feel like with some of the holiday things, they're like, well, we really want to make sure you know what flavor it is. And so they put more flavor in them. Mm-hmm. And like, I, <laughs> I need less. Fla- I'm so old. I need less flavor. The, I, the, I just want fizzy alcohol. No flavor. The things Bud Light has done this year for fall and for the holiday season are criminal. Their yeah. fall box, their flannel fall, whatever. That oh, that was disgusting. Toasted marshmallow and pumpkins. No, that is a crime. I, I, I'm going to say something, though, because I tried them. Dad and I did a taste test. And I think of all the flavors, at least the, the toasted marshmallow tasted like something I understood. It tastes like cream soda, oh. which is like, not everybody likes cream soda, but at least it, there was a reference point other than like potpourri or candle. I just got candle. I got, yeah. That box is like the Tiger King of seltzers. <laughs> you don't need any further explanation for that. That, that stands on its own. Um, Dad liked well, the nog. Dad's favorite one was the nog. I can't believe that. I, it does I, taste he, like when you've thrown up in your mouth. You can believe it, though. Well, I can for Dad, yeah. I, yeah. It really, I, all I could think of is, 
is when you've tried to do some sort of drink at a bar that involves like a cream based something and not, you know what I mean? Like when you try to drop Bailey's into some, or something, you know what I'm talking about, Tay, and like you let it curdle. Yeah. Well, but there, I mean, <laughs> yes. It's That's just, what I assumed it would be like. It's just interesting that the idea is like people are drinking eggnog for the delicious eggnog flavor. So we're just going to remove that essence of flavor and not like, no, it's just alcoholic, like heavy cream. Like that's yeah. what people are wanting. <laughs> when I tried the, the seltzer nogs, I was with a friend and uh, he said, this is like if you just took an old LaCroix that had been sitting out for a while and dumped it into the like remnants of what was left of your eggnog after you'd had a whole glass and poured it in that's very much the vibe i got from it just like old carbonation a little bit of eggnog but like after it's been out for too long i'll just stick to beer (laughs) good (laughs) i just gotta find those truly ones i'm on the hunt what are their flavors Um, the truly ones um crayon orange sparkler ginger pomegranate holiday sangria and there's an apple one is apple there? spiced apple something yeah. cider maybe uh, those, those we ha- we might still have some upstairs really? justin yeah justin got them because i tried this. them and i i would say that yes they are much less offensive than yeah. that fall box but um i mean i still i don't know i justin said he he will go back to white claw after this yeah he will not buy this box again the flavors at least sound more fitting yes for a seltzer uh well I have no transition from seltzer to Donnie Darko. Well, there no. it is right there. I don't know if you have one, but... Back in the late 80s, they didn't drink as much alcoholic seltzer. And also, <laughs> Donnie Darko is set. Not made, just set. No. <laughs> I In my head, it, it, it's an older movie. I was surprised that it was 2001. Yeah, it's not that old. I mean, that's 20 years ago. Well... Yeah, but it felt like a product of the... 80s to 90s sort of Brit, which I know that's when it's set, but like yeah. it felt like even the feel of the movie felt older to me mm-hmm. than I don't know. That's fair. Anyway, we watched Donnie Darko. Yes. yes. <laughs> Taylor, um, would you like to start off with explaining why? And, and I, I would probably concur with a lot of what you'd say. Why this film is so meaningful to you, and like I'd say, a lot of us of a certain generation. Um, I mean, it's a. It's a definitely hit that point because this was like my freshman year in high school when this came out. And, you know, it's sort of about like a weird, sad teenage boy who uh, gets, I don't, uh, I gets caught in a time loop, really, but mm-hmm. like gets the opportunity to sort of sacrifice himself and, and save the world. But it's in this very like subdued, it's like a subdued superhero story, which I think is really cool. But it's also just, it's very kind of gothy and emo. The mood's really great. Um, I think that the kind of, that sort of, I'm smarter than everybody else in the world way you feel as a teenager is very much on display. And I think that was very anthemic of the time. Like, oh, Donnie Darko gets me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I really, I I do too. Because I think, um, and it's easy to like sort of snicker at it when you're grown up because you you know better now but at the time i i think it's a very important thing to know is you have this moment as a teenager where you go oh my gosh everything's screwed up does nobody knows it everything's everything's messed up Mm -hmm. and i'm the only one who sees that and I, i that really is a very important moment 
Because then you get a little older and go, oh, you knew it too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you knew it too. <laughs> oh, wait, we all knew it. <laughs> We're all just trying to get our, but like we all have that moment where we go, am I the only one who sees right. how effed up everything is? And like the adults knew it too, but they just had accepted it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you think, Riley? This was your first viewing of Donnie Darko. Um, I did have to just dissociate from the fact that it was Jake Gyllenhaal I was watching. Yes, this, is a, this is a pot-stirring choice on my part. And of all the weeks, of all the weeks. Specifically, um, of course. But uh, I did have to ignore that. But I will say, I did enjoy it. Like, I found it, like, I, I never knew what was going to happen, which I often enjoy in a movie uh-huh. where, like, I'm not guessing what's going to happen next. I at, at no given time was I like, I think I understand where this is going. I did not ever. Um, but I, in, like, the way that mm. isn't, like, this just doesn't make sense, it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to. Well, I mean, it's definitely sci-fi. So yeah. it's, it's supposed to be, you know, I don't know. My interpretation was always that we are the movie the brunt of the movie takes place in an alternate reality yes and like in a very literal sense i guess you could consider because he does like talk about time travel and stuff in the yeah in the movie that like an alternate reality has accidentally been created in the universe and donnie darko's mission on earth on in in time and space and the universe is to fix that delete that alternate universe so that we can go back to the original timeline and he prevents the collapse of all reality yeah Yeah. which is like that is the the like if you look at the lore the stuff that was written that kind of supplements the movie that is the intended idea behind it i think when i first saw it i thought well is this some sort of symbolism going on like this isn't real time travel it's like no it is that's that's what's happening in the movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i i do think that i upon first viewing imagine this was more of like a symbolic everything's metaphorical like kind of like an inception type deal like nothing means what you think it means and it's all i don't know i was trying to look in for the deeper what is this all actually what is actually happening but i do think it makes more sense if you just accept that all of it is actually happening and it Mm -hmm. is not symbolic it is just the literal events of the movie like actual time time travel it is also talking about all these things that we talked about like being a teen and feeling like you're the only one. I mean, because it, it's like the you take that idea, I'm the only one who gets it, and I'm the only one who sees how screwed up everything is. Um, you take that to like this sort of fantastic extension of I literally am the only one who can see into the future, who can fix these problems, who can save the world. Yeah. I mean, you just take that sort of teenage fantasy and then dark fantasy, I guess. Dark O. Yeah. <laughs> it i it does it's funny because there's so many moments in it that really still hit me like as oh that's that's so good that's so good except for the one that i remember thinking was so poignant when i was a kid and and now it, it kind of made me like cringe at my younger self when he's looking at frank frank is a giant bunny a scary bunny i found it very unsettling yeah almost the yeah. entire time Frank is a, is a giant scary bunny that Donnie Darko sees throughout the film. And he's sitting in a movie theater with Frank. And he looks at Frank and says, why are you always wearing that bunny suit? And he, Or why do you take off that bunny suit? Or what, no, why are you always yeah. wearing that bunny suit? And he says, why are you always wearing that man suit? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember as a kid being like, yeah, <laughs> why are we always wearing these suits that we wear? <laughs> um, <laughs> Of like this caricature of who we really are inside. Like, yeah, I get it, Frank. 
There are a lot of moments like that, though, where Donnie is kind of giving like a speech, you know, when he's uh, uh, confronting the teacher about the 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 love and fear scale as this is where all human emotions fall on. Because uh, there's sort of a, a subplot where there's this motivational speaker who has a lot of influence in the town. And this is his philosophy that's spreading. That's like, you know, everything falls on a line between love and fear. And he gives us a little, like, that's not all, like, speech, which is great. But watching it as an adult, I'm like, well, he's not really, he's, I mean, yes, but, like, he's. I had that same thought. He's a teenage boy making this statement. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he's right, but he can't express, you know, mm-hmm. like, he, he never get. he's just like, there's more, there's more than that, there's more. And, like, he's absolutely right, and it's more complex than that, but he's not getting, he's not able to really tell you because, he is a teenager. He doesn't yeah. have it all figured out yet, you know. Although he is supposed to be very intelligent, as we were reminded many times mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the movie. That, and if we're if there's no doubt from him, like referencing, you know, whether it's literature or science or whatever, like all of these references he's able to make, or like a very well articulated argument about the Smurfs. <laughs> Which also seemed if that, more poignant when I was young. I don't know why, but I was like, oh, this is it's the horny teenage boy now. Yes, I know. Yeah, I spent a good amount of time. I paused the movie actually at that point and just kind of sat there and thought, what is this really just about the Smurfs? Is there something else here? No. Okay. All right. They're just, they're horny teenage boys and it's the Smurfs. Yes, all right. It's just that. And, but like, if, if, if any of that missed you, then there's the moment where the principal's like, your Iowa test scores are <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> like, hey, uh, everyone out there in the audience, he's smart. <laughs> um, but uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is so good in it. <laughs> he really is, though. When he does the thing, I remember what used to stick with me, which is incredibly creepy and disturbing, but like, I think it's intentional. Whenever he's talking to Frank, he gets that smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's not really looking at Frank. It he's, is unsettling. He's looking to the side, in between. It's like at this angle that it's in between you, the audience, and Frank the bunny. And at any moment, I feel like he's about to look at us with mm-hmm. that smile, and I'm so like anxious about it. I don't know. It's yeah, no, it's very effective. Fair. Yeah, um, he does do a good job <laughs> doing what he's supposed to do. I guess. This was also like 10 years pre-Taylor yeah, Swift. So. Long before the scarf. A different boy. Yeah. It was long before the scarf. Uh, I love the casting of him and Maggie Gyllenhaal yeah. as, you know, brother and sister. That and was good. being actual brother and sister. That, that's great. Um, yeah, well, he's, I mean, it, it's a, it's a charming character. I think he's a charming character. Like, I think that the dialogue that they give him, like, it's it's very easy to, like, root for Donnie Darko in this situation that feels, like, kind of inescapable. But at the same time, you know, like, it's not all Which, just, like, I'm smart and, and scary. He's also, like, kind of, he's a fun, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of cute mm-hmm. kind of innocent dialogue, like, between him and Gretchen, the girl that he has a crush on kind of comes out of nowhere or the timeline Mm -hmm. throws in front of him however your interpretation is (laughs) yeah yeah no i mean i i had a huge crush on donnie darko watching the movie i mean like back in the day like i was totally sold on don yeah rooting for him thought he was the greatest wished he had existed in my high school like (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that i was very much there wondering the halls of huntington high 
looking for your Donnie. Well, I think you I think you are supposed to feel that way because like I guess we haven't really spoiler the the basic plot <laughs> of the of the film is that a a rogue jet engine from a plane falls through Donnie Darko's house into his bedroom and should kill him. But in that moment, this imaginary rabbit, Frank, has called him out of his room. And so he is therefore saved. And then the movie takes place in this alternate reality with him doing stuff that he wasn't supposed to do and things happening that I guess, if you believe in supposed tos, weren't supposed to happen until he finally this results in Gretchen being killed. And the world like ending. Yeah. Yes. Right. And the world ending. Yeah. And so the so the thing that he has to do is go back in time and get in his bed and let the jet engine fall on him so that he is killed and the world is set right. right. Um and like I think that in order for that to land, you have to care about mm-hmm. Donnie, which you do. Like at the end, you find yourself thinking, like, well, he saved the world, but I really don't want him to die. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's they, it works like it. They pull it off. Also, I don't know why, but I've always loved movies that set you up with a time limit, like from the very beginning. Like <laughs> this is how long we have until this thing's going to happen. Just because I feel like then I very much can establish where we're going in the movie and mm-hmm. where we're going to have to end up here at some point. How are we going to get there? That's going to be a wild journey. And I'd like that from the beginning, this rabbit is like it's twenty eight days and however many hours and seconds. <laughs> this rabbit, minutes. yeah. It was just, it took me a while to get used to seeing that rabbit yeah. without being like, oh, very Did it help rabbit. when you find out at the end yeah. that it's like a guy named Frank who made yeah. a rabbit suit that he would then encounter yeah. on the fateful night in question? I do. I do appreciate that it is actually just a guy in a bunny suit and it's not a real big bunny. The, the time travel rabbit <laughs> yeah. Yeah. comes to fix time loops. <laughs> Frank the time travel rabbit. <laughs> you know, you've heard of that, right? Yeah, Obviously. Yeah. The, the classic bedtime tale. It's in science class. Cousin of the Easter Bunny. Uh, he's got a far less like fun and lighthearted job. He just fixes time blips. And he doesn't just get a fun bunny name. He's Frank. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we haven't talked at all about Sparkle Motion, so that that's going to need to happen. But before we do that... <laughs> Let's check the group message. Uh, so I think Riley is going to need something really good for lunch. Maybe something sort of like greasy and, oh my God. <laughs> and you know, something that will absorb anything that might still be down in her tummy. Well, you know what I needed um, last night was like 2 a.m. Taco Bell. Well, how did you get that? <laughs> of course I used DoorDash. <laughs> that's right. For all of your emergency, <laughs> emergency food needs, um, DoorDash has got your back because you know, right now we're all really busy and depending on your situation, it might not be the greatest time to go out to eat uh, mm-hmm. in a restaurant. Um, I know certainly with us having little kids, that's hard for us. And so we can support our favorite local restaurants and still eat yummy food with the help of DoorDash. It's an app. You open it up. You find the restaurant you're looking for or they've got things like, you know, uh, local convenience stores and stuff. Even if you need that kind of stuff like toiletries or whatever, um, you pick what you want from the app. And they bring it to your house, leave it safely outside your door, contactless delivery. It's as easy as can be. It is, um, I know, a mainstay in our household to uh, get some of our favorite, like we support our local pho place more times a week 
than I like to admit. <laughs> We're eating pho through DoorDash. Um, and you can too, uh, all your favorite local places. So Taylor, if our listeners want to check out DoorDash, what should they do? Well, right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more and zero delivery fees for their first month when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BUFFERING. That's $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees for a month when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BUFFERING. Don't forget, that's code BUFFERING for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. So I think the other important sort of cultural thing that they talk about in the movie that I know for me, like, I used as a a term for a long time was this. You have this character of the gym teacher who is a very, like... <laughs> She has become this follower of this sort of self-help guru played by Patrick Swayze, which is brilliance, mm-hmm. like the casting and the his performance. Yeah, it's it's perfect. I mean, he's a terrible person mm-hmm. like the, the character, but it's perfect. Um, Patrick Swayze does a great job, but she sort of like follows every all of his teachings and becomes like this evangelist for them. And then she also coaches this dance team mm-hmm. called Sparkle Motion. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny is uh, the dance team is made up of little girls. I would say like Charlie's age-ish, yeah. seven to ten maybe, yeah. somewhere in that range. Um, and in my memory of the movie, the the performance you finally see in one of the climactic scenes in the movie where they're at the school talent show, these little girls are performing in their sparkly outfits a, a very suggestive... <laughs> sort of inappropriate dance and at the same time donnie darko is setting patrick swayze's character's house on fire yeah (laughs) um but in my head that scene which i I, like is burned into my brain for all eternity was so much worse like the the girl's dance was so much more like oh oh it's so gross oh Mm -hmm. it's so bad oh it's so awful than it is and i think it's because we just kept in that direction And then, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it got so much worse from there. I I had the same moment where I was like, oh, right, this part is so creepy. I'm like, "Ah, it's nothing compared to just an episode of Toddlers and Tiaras. Like, this was before all of that. It's dance bombs. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but it's really it's really prescient because, like, I remember watching it when I was younger and thinking, oh, it's so gross because, like, none of the girls are smiling. They're all looking like making eye contact with the audience in a, in a way that is very unnatural for a bunch of little children dancing, but their costumes aren't like, I mean, they're just dresses, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they're not like dressed revealingly. It's not overt, but it's, uh, you can feel that it's inappropriate. You can feel that it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. And then our, our actual culture would just go in that direction, like a hundred miles per hour and never stop. <laughs> Yeah, this being my first viewing, I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> I've seen much worse. That, I found that so disturbing yeah. the first time I watched it. Like, ooh, ooh, God, no, they're, they're little kids. Why are they looking at the audience like that? It's so upsetting. And it's supposed to be because it's overlaid with the, the scene, Donnie Darko burns down the house, and they find a whole big stash of, what are they, a, a kitty porn dungeon yes. is the way they <laughs> keep describing yes. it. Uh, very specific yeah. terminology. Well, yes. I, I mean, the whole, like, setup of that entire sequence, because it, before Sparkle Motion performs, there's Sharita, who's one of the classmates of Donnie Darko, has, like, a bit of a crush on him, and, like, she does this, I think it's beautiful, this dance that she does, mm-hmm. and the audience is just not about it, and then the 
little girls come on and do their I mean they're also dancing to notorious so it's like you know it's yes yeah. <laughs> yeah but I do think it's just sort of I feel like there's this sort of choice that Donnie Darko has throughout the movie. Does he save the world or does he let it end? And they, they play it really subtle, but I think in that moment, showing us sort of there's beauty in the world, there's also this horrible thing, and the horrible thing is what people tend to love in the moment that he's mm-hmm. burning it down. Like, kind of, it's like a moment of, like, choice for him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I, I think um, it's funny. I was watching it, and I never thought this about it before, but the character of Sharita, I wonder if that's not supposed to be a little bit of an angelic figure because she's dressed as, like, an angel mm-hmm. in that scene, and you see her, like, several times just sort of sitting quietly or, like, looking at Donnie worriedly, and, like, I don't know. I wonder if she's supposed to be that kind of figure throughout the film. Yeah. Like, watching over, knowing what's happening, not really guiding, just mm-hmm. like that presence. Mm-hmm. Well, that that is interesting um, because that plays into sort of the core like mechanics of the movie. This there is like this whole the the philosophy of time travel. The book that is in the movie that's written by what is it a uh, old lady death or uh, grandma, grandma death? Grandma death. death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talks about like I mean it really spells out the plot of the movie where basically an, uh, an artifact somehow skips into an alternate dimension and creates a time anomaly and somebody in that is chosen to write things or else that universe will collapse. It's only stable for a couple weeks. It will collapse and it might create a black hole that will destroy the prime universe along with time itself. So this is a something that has to occur here in the alternative universe to save the main universe. And that around this person will be both manipulated living and manipulated dead. So Frank is manipulated dead. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a sense, Gretchen is, I guess, because she will die if this happens. And then like, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it kind of explains why there's a lot of weird sort of, sort of, it feels that a fantasy stuff that happens. Like when, when Gretchen arrives at school and Drew Barrymore, the teacher who plays a teacher, it's, it's cool. Uh, says that she can sit next to the boy she finds the cutest. Like, that's not a thing a teacher would say. But that right, Drew yeah. Barrymore was one of the manipulated living, and so her linking Gretchen and Donnie together is what starts the direction that Donnie has to go in. So that's why all these people are sort of guiding him along the way with very specific kind of weird actions, is that they're trying to lead him unknowingly to the end where he'll save the universe by mm-hmm. sacrificing himself and... In ending like, the offshoot, yeah, like Noah Wiley's character, I guess the same yeah. sort of thing. Exactly, he's the other teacher. Okay, okay, he would he he was on ER, oh, for a long time. Okay, he was yeah. he was dreamy, right? That was a that was a dreamy oh, yes. character. I found him very dreamy. <laughs> but <laughs> there are so many dreamy people in this movie. I know. Uh, you, you've also Two got Jillian Halls and a Noah Wiley and yes. and dark haired Drew Barrymore. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a cool yeah. lit teacher. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's be honest, back in the Dirty Dancing days, <laughs> I'll take me some Swayze. <laughs> You've also got a young Seth Rogen playing one of the bullies. Okay. Yes. I, that is something I wanted. I'm glad you brought that up. I meant to mention that. How it is so weird to see Seth Rogen in that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's so weird to see him as that character and his whole look like this sort of like tough guy meathead bully mm-hmm. thing yeah 
is so not like it's almost like an alternate reality for Seth. Rogen. Like this for was a direction that he could have gone, <laughs> and it would have been such a different trajectory for where his career went. Well, Jake Gyllenhaal fixed the time loop, so Seth Rogen became the <laughs> Seth Rogen we love. <laughs> I wonder at home making making vases yes. and pots. <laughs> yeah, which like I mean I I love where Seth Rogen ended up, so yeah. I'm very thankful. <laughs> That, that was not the reality that stuck. But like I was watching and I had a moment where I was watching. And I went, oh, my God, is that Seth Rogen? What is happening? I only I knew he was in it because I looked up beforehand, like who all was in the movie. Um, just because I always do the thing where I'll pause a movie and mm-hmm. just try to figure out where I know someone from. So now I've just started doing it ahead of time to try to avoid that. Um, but I knew he was in it. and I kept looking for him and it took me a while to realize, oh, that's him. Yeah, he's there. Very on um, Seth Rogen. Jenna Malone is also great. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's Gretchen. Mm-hmm. But there's, I don't know. I There's a lot of, I think, I don't, there are a lot of reads on this movie that I, I really enjoy. I mean, one, it kind of works as like, almost like an alternative, It's a Wonderful Life, where instead of seeing everything he'd miss out on if he was not alive, he he has to experience everything that he's going to have to sacrifice in order to save it he's gonna have to Mm -hmm. leave in order to save it you know like Mm -hmm. if the movie ended at the beginning where the jet engine falls we've only seen him have pretty antagonistic interactions with his parents with his sister and through the course of the movie we see like the the love that his parents have for him between him and his sister like we see all of that and also like you know his relationship with Gretchen so it's Mm -hmm. it's interesting that it's like Here's what you can save by not continuing to be alive. It's also like I was thinking about this. He if he doesn't if he dies in the beginning of the movie, then Patrick Swayze's never discovered to be mm-hmm. a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Or whatever his character's name is. Yeah. Um Patrick Swayze. Yes. Well let's <laughs> say that. I don't want to speak ill of Patrick Swayze. No. He was a wonderful <laughs> you know actor and, and guy but like uh i i wondered about that like it seems like he is being led to do these things by frank like mm-hmm. frank wants him to burn down this house and expose mm-hmm. this character but if he is crushed by the jet engine he never gets to do that well it's like oh, go, ahead. go ahead oh no no uh, please i was just gonna say it, the whole movie is kind of like the first 10 minutes of a final destination <laughs> movie where yeah. like you yeah. see all the bad things that should happen mm-hmm. and then none of them do because like they get off the plane or whatever it's like that's all of donnie darko is just like here's all the bad things that should have happened or you know yeah shouldn't have happened or whatever or would happen and then never mind none of them happen well but the the the, the philosophy of how time travel or all this works in the movie is is shown at the end that sequence where they show like uh, uh what's his name jim cunningham is who patrick swayze plays like crying yeah. on his bed and clearly like Jenna Malone's character recognizes Donnie Darko's mom and, and waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is, is that the people that were involved in the split off universe will have some memory of what happened there, even if it's just like dreams. So it will change them. It will affect them. And so these characters mm-hmm. all have basically some sort of haunting memory of what went on in that alternative timeline and awareness of the sacrifice that Donnie made. Uh, so it's not it's not yeah. all for nothing, you know. Yeah. 
Maybe he'll turn himself in. Well, he uh, the, there is a, a resolution. I don't I don't know if it's in the movie or if it's just in the script, but that he uh, it ends the ends his life. So, oh, oh, yeah. oh I didn't know that. Oh goodness. Oh. Um, did this? I know that you you all are going to be like, no, Sydney, this is not something we thought of, but I'm going to say it anyway. I I was thinking about Roberta Sparrow was the name of Grandma Death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a book about time travel. And I was thinking about the Doctor Who episode with Sally Sparrow and the um, and the angels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how they, that's and the about finish, time travel. Finish the thought. Finish the connection. And I just wondered if they were. You think it's connected? I just wondered if it was expired. Which, which one came first? Well, Donnie Darko. And so I wondered if oh, it inspired. Maybe. So you think Donnie Darko inspired Doctor Who? Maybe. Well, maybe they pulled from that. It was. You never know. Maybe a little bit. Donnie Darko was a big. Mo- it was a moment. It was. It was a cultural moment. It was. It was very much like a a catcher in the rye sort of thing. That's a connection I never would have made, but I'm not going to say that it's definitely not true. I'm just saying <laughs> that like it, it is common to pull from things that inspire you that you love when you know if mm-hmm. you're creating something. And I would not be shocked if that name wasn't in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe there's some. Well. See, maybe there's another. Maybe there's a scientific or historical sparrow that both things are pulling from. Maybe. Yes, mm. I'm just saying because the weeping angels, you know, they cause time it's travel. A time travel. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a time travel plot. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Anyway, but <laughs> but I I really I think that it it was something that resonated. It it was interesting for me for you to watch it to see. And I don't know. Maybe you're just maybe you're old enough that it won't hit you the same as it did like Tay and I when we saw it. And we're younger because when you're in those teen years, especially your early teen years, you see it and it's just like it was made for you, mm-hmm. which is the same way I felt when I read The Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is for me. This is. Yes, I agree with all. This is exactly this is what the world is like. I understand it. Um, and I felt that way when I watched Donnie Darko. But I don't know. Like, certainly I don't watch it now as a 38 year old adult and go, this is how I see the world. <laughs> well, I mean, I think for its time, it was. Uh, I mean, one, one aspect we haven't talked about is, which now I think wouldn't be as, you know, as impacting because it's better represent, represented. But the fact that Donnie Darko is, you know, he's he's in treatment. He's got some some pretty severe mm-hmm. mental illness that he's he's dealing with. And that that I think I don't know. I think that was part of it, too, at the time was it was a character that we could root for. And that was mm-hmm. shown to be not just one thing, you know. But he also, that was part of his story, which is also, I think, the original read of what I thought was happening in the movie is this is somebody like going through a schizophrenic episode or something. Um, yeah, I, I think you're I, I think that's that part of. Yeah. And I don't know if that's part of what is supposed to like the whole thing, I think, is supposed to be a little unclear. I don't mm-hmm. think it's supposed to be literal. And so I don't know if that's supposed to make you question that or not sure. Quite, you know, what am I seeing? What am I? Um, I, I definitely think that the end goal is that it's science fiction. Yes, mm-hmm. it, this there is an alternate reality and all that kind of stuff. But I do think you're supposed to wonder, like, is Donnie just imagining all this, or is he hallucinating this? Um, but I mean, you are right that that's not something that because I don't know. I guess me watching it, I didn't think too hard or too much about the fact that he was in therapy or in treatment for like mental illness, just because that's, I mean. 
if you go on Twitter, everyone <laughs> in Gen Z is like, let me tell you about this conversation I had with my therapist. Like, mm-hmm. that's just like the thing. So I guess that is something that didn't hit me very hard or strike me or I, it, it, something I didn't even think about really until we were, you just mentioned it. Um, but I, get, I can see would have been a lot, mm-hmm. a lot newer, a lot more novel of an idea this time when it came out. And that, and this was also, I, you know, it came out in 2001, but you have to imagine like a lot of it was written leading up to the end of the 90s. Like these ideas were mm-hmm. sort of, you know, fomented as mm-hmm. we're ending the 90s coming up to 2000. And there was a lot of themes of like apocalypse and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the world ending and like yeah. that kind of like a little bit of cultural nihilism and stuff. Like a lot of that was sort of underneath mm-hmm what we were listening to and watching and yeah. you know reading i also think it's a good counterpoint to that because it's i do think ultimately it's a hopeful movie like i do view it as like a dark superhero movie you know mm-hmm. he's been tasked with this this massive ask from the universe to save existence but at the cost of himself and has the opportunity to go either way ultimately you know he chooses to sacrifice himself but I think that it, it it works in that sense, you know, it's a very much a, a hopeful, like, here is everything that's in the world. And here's this teenager that, you know, just like we all feel like we see what's wrong with everything, maybe it all should just burn down. It's like, no, at the end of the day, I I want it to continue, even if it's without me. And he does say that several times, like, he just wants to make a change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and he literally does change the yeah. course of time. You know what I kept thinking about that it was reminding me of that I realized definitely came like way after and I didn't know if this had anything to do with inspiring it was the video game Life is Strange because it is like it it is about time travel kind of and like redoing things or like having making decisions that impact the whole world. But at the very end of the game, the main character is a teenager who has to decide between saving her best friend, but at the expense of the entire world ending or like her entire town being destroyed and saving the town but her best friend dying mm-hmm. and that very much that decision of like do i do what's you know and i mean it's a video game so you choose but yeah. sure i didn't know if this this gave me very similar vibes of like a little bit of science fiction but also like mm-hmm. I, I don't know a more complex main character it's yeah. also a teenager um having to make a self-sacrificing decision um i don't know absolutely i could see that yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm not sure but it makes sense because yeah. i mean it it really is. Though. I mean, that's like you said, Tay, if you think about it that way, the difference between um, everything, everything's messed up and there's nothing we can do. And at the end saying, well, there is something we can do. It's mm-hmm. very sad because <laughs> it's sacrificing yourself or yeah. your friend. Yeah. But well, but um, I think it goes back to what we were talking about, you know, feeling like you're the only one that gets it. And then part of maturing is realizing that other people get it. We're just there's only so much we can do and we have to live in this world. It's, it's a weird symbolic take on a coming of age is that, you know, accepting that the world has flaws, but it should, you know, you have to live in it, even though in Donnie's case, he specifically does not. Yeah. Are you, are you trying to say that the hard, hardest thing in this world (laughs) is to live in it? (laughs) Is that what you're trying to say, Don? Wow. Wow. (laughs) I mean, it's not wrong. <laughs> well, no, because he's, he's not in it, so it's fine. He gets out. Um, 
Well, I I will say that overall, I still enjoy watching the movie. I mean, it is it is sad. There is the whole scene about dying alone. Yeah, that well, <laughs> made me very sad. Made me very contemplative. But still, I enjoy the movie. I mean, I think that's all part of you know it's that, that path that he's on. Part of it's that his ex- mm-hmm. his acceptance that this is you know every mm-hmm. it, I'm not alone. Everybody goes this way, so this is mm-hmm. this is okay for me. And the the other thing that we should mention that song Gary Jules version oh. of Mad World. Oh my gosh! That when that wow. starts over that last bit of the movie, that breaks my heart every time. That that was huge. Mm-hmm. That was everywhere. Yeah. Really? Oh my gosh! I mean, I liked it. Yeah, I, just, I hadn't heard it. You have never heard that? No. Wow. Oh my gosh! It's. Justin always gets frustrated because he loves Gary Jules, like mm-hmm. just as an already as an artist loves all of his work. And he's like, this is the only song anybody ever knows Gary <laughs> Jules for. And he did so many amazing songs and he's wonderful that the only song they know is this one, which is great. But still, he did all these other songs. Yeah. And that's not even his song. Like he covered it. Right. <laughs> Was he ahead of the curve on like all of the, the current like the, you know, the movie trailer covers where they take like a somewhat poppy song and then slow it down and make it sad? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like. I, I I was I don't know how I ended up on the a Spotify playlist that was suggesting a lot of those and there was like like that don't you want me baby song but it was slowed uh-huh. down and kind of epic and I'm like what is no this, <laughs> why does this exist <laughs> I think he was because I, I don't remember I mean and certainly that happened a lot after that yeah Glee was all about that oh, weren't yeah. they <laughs> um but yeah that that is that music was iconic it really yeah. is like I think of it as one of the one of the formative moments in my youth was watching that movie and the things that it made me think about. And just like knowing that, I mean, it's the same thing that you always look for is a, when you're growing up and trying to figure things out, a voice that sounds like you and goes, oh, someone else, someone else thinks this, feels this, knows this the way I do. And then mm-hmm. you don't feel so alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and Riley, did, did you notice that uh, your, your boy Spencer was in it? from yes <laughs> yes oh my gosh i didn't even think about that's that that's who that is the, oh my gosh i didn't realize that until you just said that yes yes oh my gosh you're so right yeah i oh, i missed that for some reason i was thinking like did he play the rabbit because I, I remembered his face when we were watching iCarly like i know this actor yeah. i know him from donnie darko and i was, I was like no he's the kid at the mic <laughs> yeah that's wow. who it is I knew, I knew, I knew him from something. I was like, why do I know this guy? Oh, okay. That's so funny. Wow. Yeah. Well, I I enjoyed it. This was my first time watching it. I had no idea what to expect. Still, the entire time while I was watching it, I didn't know what to expect was going to happen. But I enjoyed it. That was good. I I like that about it. I mean, I I still do. And I liked it then that you're never quite sure. Mm -hmm. It's funny because... um, I was reading articles about it and with the director and stuff and they were asking like, so is Donnie really dead in the end? Mm -hmm. Like, are we, is that the final word? Is Donnie really dead? And he's like, well, I mean, I think there's lots of interpretations (laughs) and he said something like vague about like the ending is like a return to reality. Something, something, something. Yeah. But is Donnie dead? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, well, I think he is, but nobody will say that. Right. Because well, I, I guess there's another one coming out, right? Like a real deal sequel? There, I think it's already come out. S. Darko? That's an old one. Oh. I, th- I think there's... Uh, hold on. I could be wrong. 
But my understanding is that there is... Yes. So, S. Darko is the 2009 sequel. In 2017, uh, the director said he had ideas for a new, se- new sequel that was much bigger and more ambitious. In January 2021, he announced an enormous amount of work had been done on the script. Oh, wow. Yes. So, so there's a whole a whole new one that, like... Because I guess S. S. Darko did not was not well-reviewed. No. This is supposed to be, like, a real deal sequel. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never seen S. Darko. It may be great. I yeah. have no idea. I, my, my understanding is it's not. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, 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 I like the property, so that's cool. But I also feel like it's a perfect movie on its own. Like, I don't know yeah. what you could add to that story. It's a cut time loop. <laughs> like, what can you do with that? <sighs> yeah, it did not strike me as a movie that could benefit from a sequel i'm not saying it's like inherently bad if there is one but it just it has a perfect loop quite literally from beginning to end i agree with you and i I agree with both of you and i don't think in my and i have no idea what the sequel is i have no idea what it is my thought is in the world we're living in right now in this moment something similar with complete a completely new cast completely different story disconnected from it but the same ideas that you see in Donnie Darko could be really interesting. Yeah. Although, although instead of playing with like that late eighties and nineties kind of like the problems of then the motif of then mm-hmm. the, you know, cause it's very intentional that like they're talking about the election uh-huh. and then you see the self-help self-help, you know, fake guy and mm-hmm. like all this, all these things that they're talking about were the issues of the time were yeah. the problems and the gross stuff of the time. Like, if you look at now, you have so much to talk about (laughs) that you could set a very similar story with different characters in the now, and it could be very interesting. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I have no idea what this is. Well, I I mean, if if, if everything falls back on that kind of the the guide of the the time travel, how it works, you kind of have a permanent setup for movies because Mm -hmm. you have Mm -hmm. an anomaly, you have an artifact, and then you have somebody that's chosen to fix the timeline at the sacrifice of themselves. So that is kind of a evergreen structure. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the one thing that all three of us can agree on for sure is that if they do make a sequel to the film, whatever the story is, whatever else is going on, Jake Gyllenhaal needs to be the lead again because he's one of our, all three of us love Jake Gyllenhaal so much. He's Maybe. one of our favorite actors. <laughs> Maybe he can get the chance to go back in time and give Taylor Swift her <laughs> scarf back. Oh, I bet, he, I bet he wishes Frank the Bunny would reach out right now. I bet he wishes more than anything. He just—he is just fully oh, gone wait, into wait. hiding. What? What? One thing, real fast. Here's your scarf. That's it. Yeah, that was the only anomaly that I needed to fix. Everything else is fine. He's just waiting for the next one to come out. That's all about John Mayer so that all the attention's off of him. What? That's when the sequel will come out with him in it. It's once the next album comes out and everyone hates John Mayer again. What, why are you wearing that buddy suit? Why are you wearing that scarf? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. I'm going to take it off and give it back to Taylor right now before I forget. Um, that was a great. That was a great transition to what we're talking about next. Yes, yes. But thank you, Taylor, Yes, thank you, Taylor. Thank, thank you, thank you for, for watching this with me. <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed it. Always happy to watch Donnie Darko again. Um, we are talking about Red, Taylor's version, next week. <laughs> Some more Jake Gyllenhaal content. Except right. about how much he sucks. 
We're just we're just gonna go back and forth every week. One episode about why you should like Jake Gyllenhaal. One episode about why you should hate Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. We'll just see how long we can do it. Um, I do want to tell you all though there is the whole album, um, but Taylor Swift directed and made a short film. It's fifteen minutes. It's literally mm-hmm. a very short film. Um, that's kind of a music video for the ten minute version of the song about Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes, I would recommend that you watch that also. Is that what they were showing on... On SNL? Yes. Yes, that was what they were playing behind her. Okay. And they cut out some parts of it, because there's a break in the middle, because the song's 10 minutes, the short film's like 15, so there's some bits where there's no music and there's just dialogue, um, but it's there's, very good. There's also a video with Blake Lively, right, that she directed? Yes. There was a music video for one of the songs off the album that Blake Lively directed uh, with Miles Teller in it and Taylor Swift um, that's also very good. If you want to watch that, that's just a regular music video um, for one of the songs, mm. but... Yeah. Lots All to right. talk about. The album has 30 songs on it. Gee, well, that's a lot. Yes. It's a lot of songs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe I can get uh, uh, Charlie and Cooper into Taylor Swift other than... There are a few in there they'll like. I mean, like 22's on there. That's a good one. It's a hit. It's a bop. <laughs> we, st- we, we listened to uh, You Need to Calm Down like five times last night. So. Oh. <laughs> it's not red, but it's <laughs> I know. But we, I'll get them into something else. Yeah. We just keep listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Tay. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't watched Donnie Darko, um, you should. It's fair. I mean, it, you know, be in the right mood. Mm-hmm. You got to be in the right yeah. mindset. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah, but but I mean, like you said, kind of a hopeful bummer and mm-hmm. interesting. It makes you think, and it's something to talk about. I always love a movie that makes you that makes you want to talk to the people around you about it afterwards. So, mm-hmm. um, thank you to Maximum Fun. You should go to maximumfun.org and check out all the great podcasts there. Uh, you can email us at stillbuffering@maximumfun.org, and you can tweet at us at stillbuff. And thank you to the novellas for our theme song, Baby Change Your Mind. This has been your cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. I am still buffering. And I, I am too. too. There are pictures of him in a scarf. He did take it. It's not a conspiracy. He did take it. He didn't take it. She left it there. And he didn't get it back. It was a Gucci scarf. He's gonna give it back when this alternate time. He's gonna mm-hmm. don't want to fix we'll the see. Mm-hmm. He's gotta burn down the house first. <laughs> Hi, it's Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun. It's the Thanksgiving season, and I want to take this opportunity to thank you, the members of Maximum Fun. This Max Fun Drive, your generosity and your love of pins helped us raise over $90,000 to help bridge the digital divide. Families without internet access struggle to do things that the rest of us might take for granted, especially during COVID, going to school, applying for jobs, finding medical care. Your donations help the nonprofit Everyone On. They provide equipment, services, and training to get people online so they can access opportunity. You can find out more about the great work Everyone On does at everyoneon.org. Thanks for supporting Maximum Fun. Thanks for supporting Everyone On. And thanks for being awesome people who want to do good in the world. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.